Welcome to Manager Tools. Planning an offsite, part four. Here we go. Okay, Danny. So the next one in a long series of podcasts around uh, planning an offsite. You know, before we start, I just want to share with folks. In the past, I think, you know, what we've done is when we have long ones like this, we break them up over a series of months. We do part one, and then maybe a month later, we do part two. And and the reason being is that we're afraid of if this particular topic is not of interest to you, um, if you see five, because there's probably going to be another one after this, um, five podcasts on the same topic of which you're not interested in, then you know we're going to lose you as a listener. So I was talking to Mark about it. And you know, frankly, I, I worry about it a little bit. On the other hand, I, there, there are over 100 podcasts in the feed. And so if this isn't, if the most recent ones, last four for, the, for managed tools are not something you're interested in, then there are 95 plus other podcasts to listen to. So um, if this is a topic that's not interesting, interesting to you, then it's just to go back to some of the, the older shows and you'll find something in there. Um, so what we decided was if you are interested in this particular topic, then we think it's better that we get them out there rapidly so you have them versus, you know, having to wait for part five, you know, getting it six months from now, for example. So uh, it's a trade-off. In this case, we decided to do them all, publish them all in a row. I can't believe that you don't think that somebody would be as interested in this topic as I am. <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Well, believe it, believe it there, lady, because <laughs> I'm glad we have somebody like our, like you around to do this stuff for us because um, having had to do this in the past, it's not the most exciting thing in the, in, in the world. I, I must tell you, though, it is terribly important. If you're going to do one of these things, there's so many, there's so many ways it can go bad. If you need this information, you, you definitely want it. And to your credit, Danny, because you wrote this thing, I don't believe there's another source. I mean, you can say that kind of generally all the time. Hey, there's no place you can get this kind of content. And it's not quite true. In this case, I think it's absolutely 100% true. I don't think there's any place you can go and get this information. So certainly not in a podcast. All that said, let's get going. We've talked about you know how to choose a city, which was part one. We've talked about how to write the request for proposal how to identify potential hotels and submit your RFP. And this part is about the next step, which is how to choose your hotel. Right. So you've submitted the RFPs to the, the potential hotels that you identified. Now you've gotten proposals back. And so we're going to walk you through how to compare those proposals and make the choice, choose a hotel that's going to work best for your needs. So again, I'm sure people like you, Mike, are thinking, gosh, we're spending a lot of time talking about the, the whole hotel piece, but really the hotel that you use is going to have a huge impact on the success of your offsite. And you're spending a lot of money and time, and time is money, on this meeting. So anything that you can do to make it um, increase the chance it's going to be successful increases your return on investment. So think about all the things that you're going to depend on the hotel staff to deliver correctly so that you have a great offsite, a great meeting. The way the room is set up, the timeliness of the food, the quality of the food and beverages, uh, that the audiovisual equipment is the correct equipment that you need and that it's working and that it's set up in the way that you need it to be. The longer and more complex your agenda and the, the more complex your requirements are, then the greater the opportunity is 
that the hotel is going to make some mistakes. So we have five recommendations on what you want to consider before making the decision on which hotel. When you're reviewing the proposal, these are the things for you to keep in mind and for you to review. Again, there's a lot of variations on what an offsite meeting could be. So some of the things that we talk about might not be applicable to your specific meeting. For example, if none of your attendees are staying overnight, then you don't need to talk or you don't need to consider the sleeping room pieces when you're reviewing your proposals. And that one would not be part of your RFP. At some point, though, in your career, your professional life as a manager, it's likely that you might have an offsite that you're going to have pieces, all of these pieces. So here's the list, five things. Number one, is there a room rental fee for the meeting room? And if so, how much is it? Number two, can the hotel meet your food and beverage requirements and budget? Number three, is there a deposit required? If so, how much and when is it due? Number four, does the hotel have the number of sleeping rooms you need? and does the price for those rooms fit in your budget? And number five, can the hotel meet your AV needs and budget? Now, a big uh, common thing that uh, you'll hear me, you'll hear us talk about uh, is that pretty much anything, any of these items is negotiable. When it comes to working with hotels, a lot of these pieces are absolutely negotiable. Although there are some things that they're less likely to negotiate on than others. Um, and it's been my experience and our experience here at Manager Tools, and we've worked with hundreds of properties, that what a specific hotel will negotiate on and what they won't tends to vary pretty, pretty widely. So don't assume that what one hotel says, well, we can't negotiate on that, is going to be the same across the board. So for example, one hotel might not charge you a room rental fee, but they have a minimum F&B meaning food and beverage requirement, while another hotel might charge you for the room, but they don't have an F&B minimum. So you're going to probably be doing some math based on the size of your meeting and the requirements for your group to determine which proposal is best. So I, I assume you're going to get to it, but the implication of all that is it's more effective to negotiate each hotel contract, if you will, in its totality. Uh, if there's hotel rooms in terms of overnight stays, the best you can get the best food and beverage cost, all that. And at the end, once you've negotiated each of those, then you compare the total price for one versus the total price for another. You can't you really can't talk about by category who's the best. It's really what's the bottom line per hotel because one may charge you more for a room, but they charge you less for F and B and vice versa, right? Yeah, absolutely. When we have, when we get multiple proposals from hotels, we'll go back and we'll negotiate with them and ask them to lower the room rental or lower the F&B. And then once we have their, their best proposal and their best pricing, and they've kind of said, you know, that's, this is the best that we can do, then we sit down and we, we do all of the comparisons so that we make sure that we are essentially adding up the total cost of our meeting and comparing one hotel to another. So it's just best to, to get them all in due to your negotiations before you start making comparisons. So the first thing you're going to consider is the room rental fee. First of all, is there one? And if so, how much? Now, a lot of hotels uh, will waive the, the room rental fee based on your F&B requirements. Although, as we're recording this in 2015, and as travel budgets are easing and people are starting to do more meetings, 
that's becoming harder and harder. But if the proposal does include a room fee, it is actually one of the easiest fees to get waived or at least get lowered. Um, if you build a good relationship with your sales rep, if you've been polite throughout the whole process, you can just often just ask them, you know, is that the best price that you can do? Can, can you lower it three or $400? Or sometimes what we'll say is our typical room rental fee is X amount. Do you think you guys can get a little bit closer than that? Now, if you're using a large room, like the main ballroom in the hotel, these are the, the, the huge rooms that are often like 20 or 40,000 square feet, and you're not using a lot of sleeping rooms, then obviously it's going to be harder to get that room rental fee waived. Um, but it's not impossible, and you should always ask. It doesn't, doesn't hurt anything to ask. And more than, more than once, I have received a proposal from a hotel with the room fee on it only because the sales rep forgot to remove it from the template that they use when they're creating proposals. So certainly doesn't hurt to ask or at least just validate. Uh, and all it took was me picking up the phone to that sales rep and saying, hey, there's a room rental fee on here. I thought you said there wasn't gonna be one. And she was like, oh, sorry, I forgot to take that off. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine, right? Just sometimes you just gotta pay to ask. And this may have changed a bit, but in my experience, it was fairly rare to have to pay a, a rent room rental fee when it was one of the smaller meeting rooms, say, you know, 25 people or less. Is that still true today? Absolutely. Yeah. Typically, the room rental fees are going to be for the, the large ballrooms or other rooms that are in high demand, um, particularly if they're also using those for an event that would require a large block of sleeping rooms. Uh, they typically, hotels typically tend to tie their biggest meeting space to sleeping room block requirements. In other words, if you want our big ballroom, you also have to contract, for example, 100 sleeping rooms. If you're not blocking that type of room, if you're not uh, booking a, the big ballroom and you're not going to be using many sleeping rooms or you're not going to require very much F&B, then it's going to be harder to get that room rental fee waived. But if you're just using a smaller room for like 20 people and maybe you have a couple sleeping rooms, usually they'll be much more negotiable when it comes to that. You got to remember, guys, that the hotel is there in business to make revenue as well. And their room rental fee is one way to do it. But if they see that they're going to have other revenue generated by their meeting, your meeting with them, then they can, they'll consider reducing it or waiving it. I think we talked about this last time, actually. But if at this point, you have not had the room dimensions and a diagram, it's time to get that, right? Absolutely. If you're needing a specific setup or if you picked a specific room when you requested the proposal from the hotel, then you need to make sure that that room is mentioned in the proposal. And you need to validate again that the room is large enough for your size, for the meeting, your setup. You want to check the diagram for any type of barrier in the room or pillars. Um, now, sometimes that's not going to be on the diagram. We've had that happen more than once where we got the diagram from the hotel and there was absolutely no pillars. And then when we showed up, there were five pillars running right down the middle of the room. So don't assume that just because there's nothing on the diagram that the room is wide open. It's always a good idea to ask to get the diagram and then to also say, are there any pillars or are there any obstructions in the room? Uh, particularly if it's in a location that you can't do a site visit. If you can do a site visit, then you may want to just go over and see it. I would, I would definitely do that. If I was having a meeting in my hometown, I would go and look at the room because again, you'll, you'll see things that you don't see on the diagram. Sometimes there are 
um, air walls that when the air wall is open to make the, the room bigger. By the way, the, what we mean by an air wall is a wall that can be opened and closed to make the room bigger or smaller. And sometimes those air walls collapse into the wall, uh, into the walls that they run perpendicular to, but there's still three or four feet that sticks out the, the, the casement for that air wall. Um, and that can get in the, in the way of your setup. So really good idea to get that diagram, to validate with the person, are there any barriers, any pillars, and then if you can, to go see it. It's really, it's just horrible to walk into a room for the first time, you get on site, you're excited, you're ready to set up, and you see something like a row of pillars that just cuts your room right in half. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a killer when you walk in and you didn't expect it. Having uh, done that a couple times before, so now we've we've looked at the, kind of the the room rental charges and negotiated that. Um, what's the next thing on the list to look at? So next, we're going to look at the F and B requirements and the pricing, and you want to check and see if the proposal includes a minimum F and B spend. And by spend, we mean the minimum that amount that you are going to be required to spend with the hotel, and the hotels will call that your F&B spend. So if there is a minimum, if they say the minimum is $1,500, that means that you have to spend at least $1,500 in food and beverage, and that's before any taxes or fees. So you'll need to review the menus. You, again, you might have to request that from the hotel. They probably aren't going to automatically include that with the proposal although some some properties do but if not you can just ask them what we recommend is look through the menu and choose your meals choose your break selections to get the pricing then you can calculate your per person price multiply that by the number of attendees to make sure that you're going to meet the minimum it's preferable for the hotel's minimum to be lower than what you're actually planning to spend in case you end up with fewer attendees. So for example, often our minimum F&B spend is $2,000 and we'll look through the menus and we'll say, based on what we typically do, it's gonna cost $120 per person per day for this meeting. And then we calculate what's that look like based on our average number of attendees. And we want that number, we want the total F&B spend to be lower than what we typically would spend based on our typical number of attendees. Because if we end up with fewer attendees, we're still on the hook for the full $2,000. If we end up with only 10 people there, for example, and our F&B ends up being $1,200, we still have to pay the other 800. And you don't wanna pay for food that you're not eating. Obviously, that's, that's just a waste of money. If the minimum is close to or more than what you plan to spend, then you, again, you can certainly ask the hotel if they'll lower it, or sometimes they might even eliminate it. They may even say, we'll, we'll waive the minimum altogether. If they might ask you, how many people do you think you're, you're plan on having? And then they're doing the math on their end to, to make sure that they're, this is still going to be a profitable meeting. But remember, the hotel, if they're trying to transfer their risk to you. They want to know that they have a guaranteed amount of revenue that they're going to make off the meeting, whether you have 10 people there or 30 people there. That's why they have room rental fees. That's why they have the, the minimum F&B requirements. Your goal throughout this entire process is to minimize your risk by reducing your obligations as much as you can. Uh, so at this point, you and the hotel are 
coming at it from opposite ends, right? They're trying to they're trying to get more of the risk onto you. You're trying to keep as much risk off you as possible. And I think we've said this a couple of times in this series, right? It's the hotel is not doing anything wrong. You're not doing anything wrong. So definitely be nice during this process. We don't recommend that you take an adversarial tone with the hotel. You be polite. You you make requests politely. And if they say no, you just continue to be nice. If they can't do it, maybe there's another hotel that can. And often the sales rep that you're dealing with, it's not up to them. They're not making the decision. So it doesn't do any good to be rude to them because it's outside of their control anyway. And if you're nice up front, if you're nice throughout this whole process, even when they say, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that, then you increase the chances that something that you ask for later, they're going to say yes to. Yeah, and ask the hotel if they offer meeting packages for meals. Um, and sometimes they have packages that include breakfast, the morning break, the lunch, the afternoon break. Now, frankly, you're going to have a lot less flexibility around the menu selection and what it is, but the per person total can be significantly less than you would have paid otherwise. Yeah, we are a big fan of of meeting packages uh, because, as Mike, as you just said, it saves us money. There, usually, that's the hotels where they're having several meetings going on, and so they're just gonna they're gonna provide, they're gonna prepare and provide the same lunch for everybody, the same afternoon break for everybody. So they're willing to give you that at a lower cost because they know that they're going to have four meetings and everybody is just going to have the same thing. And here's the great, here's the other benefit guys about meeting packages. It takes the responsibility off you to choose the food, to pick the menus. Because guys, you're spending a bunch of time choosing what we're going to have for lunch. Are we going to have the chicken Caesar salad or the chicken wrap. This is just not a good use of your time. You are not going to make everybody happy. So just accept that right now. If you have and if you have a large enough group and I've done meetings with 500 people, let me tell you, somebody there is going to not like what you picked for lunch and they're going to write it on their evaluation. I didn't like the sandwich for lunch. Okay. You just have to accept that that happens. And guys, really chicken is fine. I promise. Just go with the chicken. All right, so after you've reviewed the F&B requirements, next you're gonna look at the deposit and billing arrangements. Hotels often require a deposit when you sign the contract. It could be a flat amount like $500 or $1,500, depending on the size of the, the meeting plan, the, the scope of the meeting, or it could be a percentage of your total expected bill. There might be a deposit schedule where you're making multiple deposits or payments leading up to your event. It's typically easier to get the deposit waived if you've had meetings at this hotel before and you have a good payment history. Or sometimes if you are using the same chain and you can give them credit, give them uh, recommendations, or not recommendations, but you can give them the names of other hotels that you've used that you paid on time, then they might be uh, more likely to waive that deposit. If you're gonna pay the bill with a credit card and you're willing to provide the credit card number up front, they might be more willing to waive the deposit. Again, they might not be totally willing to waive the deposit. And if they say no, then the next thing would be to ask them, well, can you at least reduce it? Can you take it from 1500 down to 500? Again, what you're trying to do here is, is minimize or delay your risk. Now, in terms of um, billing de details, right? I mean, you're, you're going to get that included with the deposit. Is that right? 
Yeah, they're, they will likely include all of that in the, in the proposal, how they're going to want to get paid. And so you need to make sure that what they've put in the proposal is all correct and matches what you put in your RFP. So typically hotels will charge your credit card for the balance of the meeting on the day of the meeting. So you need to be aware of that, that the day of your meeting, that that charge might show up on your card. Some hotels will charge your card like three days before the meeting. So like the deposit, if you're returning to a property that knows you, you can usually get, get it changed. If you don't want to pay three days ahead of time, you can say, can we have it be paid the day of the meeting or the day after the meeting? And if you're willing to do a credit application ahead of time and provide references of other hotels that you've paid on time, then the hotel is usually more flexible around all of the, the payment arrangements. Like everything else that we've talked about, ask for what you want, ask for what your preference is, what, again, reduces your risk, and assume that everything is negotiable. Now, how about um, cancellation policy? Because occasionally something happens and you don't go forward. And um, my experience is if you don't pay attention to the cancellation policy, the cost can be significant. And often, you can negotiate those as well. Yes, yeah, standard cancellation policies, Mike, are on a sliding scale. That's been my experience. The closer me and what I mean by sliding scale is the closer you get to the date of your event, then the higher the fee is going to be if you cancel. Uh, usually pol cancellation policies start at like 90 to 120 days out. And at that point, it might be 25 to 30% of your total expected bill. So in other words, if you cancel three months out, you're still going to you're going to pay them 30% of what they expected the total amount of your bill to be. If you cancel within 30 days, usually at that point it's going to be closer to 100% or it might actually be 100% of the total that they expected. Most hotels that I've worked with when I have had to cancel, as long as I rebooked at that same level of meeting, that same level of revenue within six months or a year, often they'll waive the cancellation fee. So in other words, um, w if we cancel a meeting in, let's say we were having a meeting in March and we canceled it, as long as we book a similar meeting within the next 12 months, so by March of the next year, then they'll often waive the cancellation fee. So if you do have to cancel, I would definitely ask if that's an option. And it might be that it doesn't have to be you that has to book that meeting again in a year. It could just be somebody else in your organization. So if that does happen, you want to make sure that you communicate to other meeting organizers in your company that, hey guys, if you're planning a meeting, let's see if we can use this one because we canceled and we don't want to have to pay that fee. That makes sense. Part of the agreement is the number of sleeping rooms that you're going to use. And of course, you talked about earlier, you want to understand the, the business model of the hotels and that's part of how they make money. So tell me about that, what we should be thinking about around that. Yeah, you definitely want to think about or, or pay attention to the price of the rooms, the sleeping rooms, and think about how many attendees you're going to have who are going to use sleeping rooms so that it um, meets your budget. When you're reading the proposal, you want to pay particularly close attention to the hotel's attrition policy. And by attrition, I mean what their policy is around whether or not you use all of the rooms that you predicted that you were going to use. And it really varies, Mike. I, I don't even know that I can say I can, I can give a standard attrition. Some hotels, it's 20%, uh, meaning 
they won't charge you until you fall below 20% of the rooms you said you were going to use. And some room, some hotels that we've talked to, it's, they don't have, they have zero, meaning if you say you're going to use 10 sleeping rooms, then you're going to get billed for 10 sleeping rooms, whether you use them or not. There can be a huge range that you're looking at. So you really want to pay attention to that. You want to make sure that the hotel has the number of rooms that you're going to need for each night and the types of rooms. Um, we talked about that earlier in the series that you need to think about if people are going to share rooms or um, if people are allowed to have their own room. Now, if you're using less than 100 rooms, this is probably not going to be a problem for you. It's really only when you start getting into large, large meetings with a couple hundred people and um, where you're starting to use closer to 100 or more rooms that the hotel might say, we can't guarantee that we're going to have that number of rooms. And so you're going to have to find another hotel nearby for the rest of your, of your room block. And if that's the case, then you've got a whole other set of issues that you need to think about around transportation, how people from the overflow hotel are going to get to the hotel where the meetings are and shuttles back and forth and how you're going to communicate that and what that's going to look like. If you are using like 20 rooms or more, then the hotel might be willing to give you a little bit lower rate than their publicized rate. In other words, you might go on the, on the internet and see that the nights you're looking at, the room rate is $159, but because you're using a, a block of 20 rooms, they might lower that to 119. It's a little bit harder in my experience to negotiate lowering of sleeping room rates than room rental fees or F&B minimums. And I'm not really clear on why that is. I've asked hotels and I get different answers. Um, I think it's typically because the sleeping room part of the business is often managed by a different department than the meeting folks. And so it just requires them going over and talking to people in a different department. And because they think they can still sell the room at the full for example, $159 a night rate online, they tend to be less willing to negotiate. Um, but it doesn't hurt, again, it doesn't hurt to ask. All they can do is say no. Again, you want to pay attention to, you want to make sure you understand the, the attrition policy that, and the cutoff date for making reservations and submitting your rooming list. Some proposals might say you have to pay for any unused rooms, if that happens, we I would recommend that you ask for that clause to be removed because, again, that could end, just end up costing you, you know, more money. Um, in order to do this, in order to remove that policy or that clause, the hotel might say, we have to give you an earlier cutoff date to submit your rooming list so that they can release those, those inventory of rooms back into their general inventory to sell to other people. Again, if you're only, if you're only, planning a meeting with 10, 15, 20 rooms, this probably isn't going to be a problem. You can probably have an earlier cutoff date. But if you're planning a huge meeting with, you know, hundreds of attendees or thousands of attendees, then that starts to get a little bit more complicated. But I, I think, Mike, for most people listening to this, to this cast, that's probably not the case. Most of them are probably going to be using, you know, maybe 10 or 20 sleeping rooms. And the potential downside of not having to pay for rooms that you haven't used does not justify the risk. So I recommend that you just have them remove that clause that you're going to pay for any unused rooms and you'd be willing to, to move the reservation date back.
you have less risk um, that you're not going to be able to get a room. This is probably more than anybody ever wanted to know about hotel sleeping rooms, but we have one more recommendation, and that's to review the reservation and payment process to make sure it's correct. So typically payment is going to be handled in two, two ways, one of two ways. Either all of the rooms are going to be charged to the master bill with the F&B and the meeting room rental and all of the other meeting expenses, AV and all that, or your attendees are going to pay for the rooms themselves, meaning they're going to submit a credit card and the charge is going to go on their, their card. You can compile and submit the rooming list yourself or your attendees can make their own reservations directly with the hotel. If you can, we recommend that you prepare and submit the rooming list. This reduces the chance that there's going to be mistakes and errors. I've done it both ways and um, in my experience, there's almost always more mistakes, meaning people don't have rooms or they have they don't have the right room. They wanted a king and they got put in a room with two doubles when the hotel takes the reservations, you know, or people don't get charged the correct room rate or the worst case, which we've had happen is the reservation just completely gets lost. Um, and if you do the rooming list yourself, you have documentation that you can show it when you're on site, if something does go wrong, you can pull up that contract and you can pull up that rooming list and you can show the person at the front desk, this is where we made the reservation or this is where we submitted the rooming list. If the hotel handles the bookings, then there's really nothing in writing and that just reduces the chance that they're going to feel the obligation to do something to make it up to you and your attendee. And when dealing with hotels, it's always a good idea to put as much in writing and have as much documented that you submitted in writing as you possibly can. I'll tell you, I'll just add, you know, even if you submit the rooming list and take that on, make sure it's right because you want to have a great experience for your attendees and you validate with the hotel that they have that rooming list, it still happens occasionally that it still gets messed up. And to witness, I think on our, our very first Manuals conference, we had the same issue and one of the presenters ended up staying in a room with me because the hotel didn't, uh, one, they didn't they didn't reserve a room for the person, and they had no more rooms to give out, even though we had given them a very precise list uh, weeks before. So, um, you know, it can still go wrong. So, Danny's absolutely right. the The more you can control that, the more you um, you get involved, the less likely it is you're you're going to have issues. And and right, somebody showing up the hotel in this case, showing up the hotel, I think it was like eleven thirty or close to midnight. And finding out they don't have a room is not a great way to start a conference. No, it's not. It absolutely gets them off on the wrong foot. They don't have a great experience. They're irritated. They're tired. And that's absolutely going to impact their experience they have with you the next day. It's going to impact their participation. Uh, so... Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, we, we've had that happen on a, on a small number of occasions with conferences. I remember one conference where I gave up my room. I moved to a hotel across the street so that our attendee could have a room. And because of the air, we actually paid for his hotel room to, uh, to apologize for the hotel not having a room ready for him. And still, the next day, at the end of the day on his evaluation, he made a comment about the room not being ready. <laughs> And so people hold on to that stuff and because, you know, where you're going to sleep is an important thing um, and, it, and it matters to, to people a lot. So the more you can do to make that experience better, 
then the better experience your attendees are going to have with the overall meeting. Okay, so our last point is to talk about, to review the AV details. This is the last thing that you'll want to look at when you're reviewing the proposals. It's probable that your sales rep is going to send you a list of equipment, AV equipment and the corresponding rental prices. Review that list and calculate the total expense based on what you need. And again, those prices probably are not going to include setup fees and taxes. So you need to make sure that you're thinking about all of the additional fees and taxes and any other labor costs when you're working on your budget because you don't want to get your final bill and it end up being 25 or 30% higher, which is fairly standard for fees and taxes when it comes to hotels and, and uh, AV equipment. So that's not a fun surprise to get. So make sure you're considering all of that when you're doing your math and determining the pricing on things. This is the area I will say, Mike, that's probably been the one that I've had the least success in negotiating. Typically, hotels don't negotiate their AV fees. They often outsource the AV to another company, so they have no control over it at all. Or even if it is in-house, it's a completely separate department and your sales rep probably doesn't have a lot of ability, ability to negotiate pricing. It's kind of similar to sleeping rooms in that case where it's handled by somebody else. And so they don't have the authority to do anything about the pricing. The only exception I can say to that is if you're planning a very large meeting, like with hundreds or even thousands of people, and you're using a lot of different equipment, then they'll sometimes have packages. But again, for the typical meeting that a manager is going to be planning, where maybe you're just using a projector and a screen, they're probably not going to wiggle very much on those prices. Okay. So um, now you've got everything, right? You're ready to look at all the hotels and make a final decision? Yeah. One last thing I would say about AV is if you can, it's probably almost always a better idea to bring your own equipment because it's going to save you money. Um, you're familiar with how it works. You won't have to wait for somebody to bring it in and set it up so you can test it. Rental fees, for example, for LCD projectors, crazy expensive. I, I've seen them as much as $1,000 a day. And typically they're they're older models. They aren't as bright. Um, they don't have, you know, great lumens, which is how the brightness is measured. And the projector itself is just, it's huge. It's massive. And so it takes up a huge amount of space on your, on your table, on your AV table. So if you can, we recommend that you bring your own equipment. Again, you'll want to make sure it's going to work with the size room that you're in. So good idea to Bring it, test it ahead of time, test it the night before. That way, if it's if it doesn't work, for example, if you have a projector that you use in your conference room at the office and it works great at your conference room, but you take that into a hotel room that's 40 by 70, it might not be bright enough. So you'll want to test that ahead of time because if not, then you need to go to plan B, which might be using the hotel's projector. If you do use your own uh, equipment, Make sure that you bring, for example, extra bulbs for your projector, batteries. If you're using your own remote, you want to make sure you have backup batteries for all of that stuff. You cannot depend on the AV department to provide that kind of stuff if you're not paying to rent their equipment. So you want to make sure that anything that, that could go out, you have extra that would batteries and bulbs and all of that. 
So yeah, so now we're done, Mike. So now we have all of the pricing. We uh, have it all figured out. We've negotiated. Now you're going to add up all the expected expenses, your room rental fees, your F&B, your AV, sleeping rooms, again, taxes and fees. Divide that by the total number of attendees. That gets you your total cost per person. And that's the best way that I have figured out to compare one hotel to another is add up everything, what I think is going to cost, figure out what my cost per person is. That gives me a real apples to apples comparison. Um, plus, it's just that's a good thing to know how much the meeting is costing your company. And so you reviewed everything. Now it's time to make a decision. All right. There's a lot of stuff there, but folks, that's that's the kind of that's the kind of stuff you need to know to to pull this off um, to get the best possible price you can and have the best possible experience you can have for your attendees. So we'll stop there, and next week I think we'll be able to conclude this and talk about how to work with hotels and wrap up. Awesome. All right, everyone. We'll see you next time. So long. Thanks, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll continue with this one next week. See ya. This podcast was produced by Manager Tools. Manager Tools creates actionable management guidance every single week. To receive additional materials via our newsletter and to find products for situations you may face as a manager or professional, go to www.manager-tools.com. Search for Manager Tools on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.